our passage was already read. We're in Colossians 2, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Um, we're in Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 15. Um, and uh, Colossians 2, 6, uh, some people argue that this, uh, this is the... This is the theme verse of the whole book. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So we're, we're actually going to, uh, I'm kind of rearranging how we're going to look at the passage. We're, we're, we're going to um, answer some questions. First, who you were, like before Jesus, who you were. And then we're going to look at what he has done for us. And because of what he's done for us, then we'll look at who we are now in Christ. And then verse 8, Paul gives Christians, he gives the Colossian church this warning that we'll look at. And then finally, we'll look at 2, 6, and 7, that we, once we've received Christ, we are to walk in him. So our truth statement for today is up on the screen. It says, live only by Christ. If you have received Christ, he has brought you out of being dead in your sin to being alive in him. And he has is, he is triumphed over all evil. Right, Christians, we know that, that our life is in Christ, that we are to live in Christ, the one who defeated sin, defeated death, defeated all sorts of evil, and, and we can live in him and walk in him now. So who you were, verse 13, the first uh, First part of 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So before trusting in Jesus, we were without hope. We were helpless. Um, earlier, Paul describes us as, as being alienated from God. We're hostile to God in, in our minds, in our thinking, and in our actions. We didn't believe who he said he was, who he claimed to be. We didn't trust that he was God, that he was good, that we needed him. So we find ourselves just lifeless outside of Christ, before Christ. We're spiritually dead. We're dead in our sensitivity to God. No feeling, no awareness even of God. We didn't believe in God, so we certainly didn't love God the way that we were meant to, the way, the way that we were made to. We didn't love his word. We didn't care what he said. We weren't even really interested in hearing about God, and maybe you can remember back to when that was you. He, he says the uncircumcision of our flesh, and maybe this is just such a weird thing to you that, that circumcision is talked so much about in the Bible, but it was the sign to the Jews that they were God's people. Abraham was given this sign of, of this covenantal relationship with Yahweh. So the uncircumcision of the flesh, just think of it, it's our whole self, right? Estranged from God. Because we're spiritually dead. If you were, um, if you were in a car wreck and you survived, um, in theory, I mean, you're alive still, so in theory, you could unbuckle, you could get the door open, and you could crawl out to safety. But that's not the case when you're dead. If, if you just drop dropped to the ground today, had a heart attack. You would have no ability to save yourself. You would need someone to come in the room, see you, and either start CPR on you or grab the AED and try to get you back to life. But you'd be completely dependent on someone intervening, on someone coming to your rescue. And, and this, is the, this is the spiritual condition of all people outside of Christ, Paul tells us. We're, we're just dead. 
utterly incapable of saving ourselves. And we're so incapable, we don't even know we need saving until, until God shows us our need for him. So that's who we were. We were dead. Now what he has done, 13b, the second half through 15, God made uh, alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 13 through 15, it's like this mini capsule of the gospel. Like if you wanted, if you, if you only had a, a brief time with someone and, and wanted to take them somewhere in scripture, these few verses are, are, are a great um, view of the gospel. Um, so we know we're before, outside of Christ, we, we were dead in our sin. Paul tells us that, that if you receive him, that he's given you life. And then he explains it in reverse order, like how that life came about. Like you can almost imagine a ladder, but he starts at the top rung and then works his way down. He says, he, he gave us life by forgiving us of all of our trespasses, all of our sin. And he says, he forgave us by canceling that record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. And he did that by setting it aside. He, he set aside everything that stood against us, everything that we owed God. And he did that by nailing it to the cross. So let's go through those. He's given us life. He has made us fully alive in Jesus. We go from being dead, and again, not just numb to God, but totally dead, void of life. And God makes us alive with Christ. Our life is now in him. Our life is with him. Him. Our entire life is found in him. It's because of him. So now we have life. And I'm not, I'm not just talking physical life. We have spiritual life. And there's nothing that can take that away from us. right? Nothing can happen to our body. Nothing can happen in our circumstances that can take that away from us. Even our physical death, like someday you'll die. But if you're in Jesus, if you have life in him, your life in him doesn't stop. Not even for a nanosecond. When you receive Christ as Lord, and he gives you life, you, you get life now, and it goes on for eternity. Well, how could he do this? How could he give us life? He did it by forgiving us of everything we've ever done, all our trespasses. He's forgiven our rebellion against him. He's forgiven us for not believing in him. We were far, far from him. We wanted nothing to do with God. We lived, we lived life with no regard to God at all. And yet still in his grace, he wanted us. He loved us. So he's forgiven us completely. Well, how can he do that? Well, he does that by canceling our record of debt, Paul says, that stood against us with all its legal demands. Our sin was great. We had this un payable debt. And he uses this courtroom imagery. But we're standing in the court before the judge, and we're facing this unending list of charges against us. Can you imagine if every sin you ever committed was written down? Right? Written down on, on some document. Even if it was the smallest font possible, how big would that document be? How, how long would it go on? If it was read, it would be read for ages until it was finished. So you're standing there in the courtroom. There's no arguing your innocence. There's no possible plea deal. Right? The verdict 
will be guilty as charged. The punishment is death eternally, separated from God forever. And as, as the indictment's being read, you know that every word is absolutely true. But God canceled that record of death. Right? He wiped it out, including all of the legal demands that were against you. He canceled it. Well, how do you do that? It says by setting it aside. Right? This insurmountable debt for us, Jesus sets it aside. Right? The way Paul writes it is almost like it's nothing for him to do that. But we know that that, in a sense, is not true. The cross was not nothing. The cross was excruciating, and only Christ could do it. What I think we see here is the power that God has. His power is so much greater than our sin. Right? The God who powerfully spoke everything into existence is greater than sin and death, greater than our guilt. He took this enormous record of debt and he sets it aside. Well, how did he do that? Paul says he did that by nailing it to the cross. And this is something that happened from time to time, that, uh, that, that the charges were nailed up onto the cross. Uh, Jesus, when he was crucified, they nailed it up there. It said, King of the Jews. Though I think maybe this picture is, is slightly different. I, I read one... Um, one pastor that, that said it, it's like that, that record, that document, it's like that was held up against Christ's hand and the nail was there and it was pounded in there as Christ absorbed, as Christ took on our sin. He who knew no sin became sin in our place. He was the substitute paying for our sin. So this is what he has done. This is how he has made us alive with him, alive in him. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing uh, over them in him. So the picture here is, a, is an absolute beatdown. Okay, like if you're in some kind of competition with someone and it's just lopsided, it doesn't matter what the competition is. It could be like a swim meet, it could be a chess match, tennis match, a debate, it could be thumb wrestling, whatever. The picture is that, that it's not even close, that Christ is totally triumphant here. And, and there's this imagery that makes me think maybe of a victor in war, right? That, that there's, uh, there's this military and they go up against the enemy, and the enemy has taunted them. The enemy has said that they're going to take, take their, their kids, their livestock. They're going to burn everything. And the military goes out, and they go to war, and they just obliterate these people. Like, just work them over. It's not even close. And the, 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 the military comes back, and the, the people in their territory, their kingdom, they're so excited that they're throwing this parade and the military marches forward and, and even like the, the, the lowest in the military, the, 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 the guys that barely do anything, like those guys are getting cheered for as heroes and, and then commanders come and generals and people are just freaking out about how amazing they were in victory and triumph over the enemies. And then there's the king and the king is there and he is glorious and people are shouting praises to this king and then behind the king are, are the captors, right? the, the, the ones, the commanders of the other army that, that were threatening, saying what they were going to do to this people when they won the victory and, and they're in shackles, they're in chains, they're beaten and bruised, they're barely alive. 
And even the kids in the streets now are mocking those guys because the king was triumphant. They mocked, they, they laughed at them as they thought that they could beat our king. As powerful as those enemies seemed, they weren't even a challenger to the power of Christ the king. So through humiliation on the cross, Christ absolutely triumphed over all evil. So now, because of what he's done, this is who, who you are now, who we are. And I want to show you a, a slide with, um, with all of the, the verses here. Uh, this is the whole passage. And, and what jumps out is in him, in Christ, in him, in him, with him, with him. We're going to zone in, though, to, to verse, uh, verses 9 through 12 here. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And Paul already has told us before that, that the total fullness of God is in Jesus. Right? He is not a lesser version of God. He's not, he's not a mini God. He's not simply a representative that's kind of like God. No, fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ. And then he tells us that you... Christians are filled with him. All right, Jesus has the fullness of God and we are filled to the brim with Christ. We have everything that we need in Christ. Right? What else could we possibly need? If you're filled with Christ, if I'm filled with Christ, I find myself asking, why do I worry and stress out so easily over issues and circumstances in life? Like if I knew and believed this, that, 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 that Christ was in me, how could it change my outlook? How would it change how I respond to hard circumstances in life? Because Jesus filling me should give me more peace and assurance and security than anything at all. A couple nights ago, um, my youngest daughter, uh, we went to OHSU for a sleep study. She's four years old. And uh, I, I grossly underestimated the amount of wires that would be hooked to her poor little body. Um, so she's sitting there in a chair and looking at me. And I, honestly, I think she was too scared to cry as she's getting, uh, seriously, like 20 wires to her head, two wires down each leg, two wires on her chest. She's got this breathing thing, and she's just holding my hand. And, um, and, and then we, we go to sleep. She got better once the, the tech left the room, and we're sleeping in this bed together, cameras on us. Like, it's just weird. And... Um, and I woke up at one point, and a lot of times I'll sleep like this, and I woke up, and she had looped her arm through my arm. Um, and, and I just thought, man, thank you, Lord. They're like, I can bring her some safety right now, some assurance, some peace. And, and ultimately what I'm praying, though, is that my daughter will find all of those things in Jesus. Right? That, that she'll realize that in him, she has everything that she needs, that, that, that in him, the Bible describes this incredible union that we have with Christ. And it's lopsided, right? Like, we're out of our league with Christ, and yet he loves us and has made us his own. And Paul says, you're filled with him. 
And as if that wasn't enough, then Paul says, and by the way, he didn't say that, but he says he's the head of all authority and rule. Right? This is who we are filled up with. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off uh, the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I know we talked a little bit about circumcision earlier. This is the Jewish sign given to, to God's people, the Jews, outwardly, this physical symbol given to the males that they were God's people. After Christ, there was this argument, like do Gentiles, the non-Jews, do they need to be circumcised in order to become a Jew so then they, they can be saved? And Paul's like, no, that's so stupid, no. Right? The, the circumcision was always supposed to be a heart issue, not just this outward physical sign. Um, it, it was always meant to be that way. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says, um, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, you, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is never supposed to be this external just checklist item for us, but our hearts were to be God's. And Christ, Paul tells us Christ has done this circumcision. He's, he's cut off the body of the flesh by his body of flesh. And then he transitions to baptism. And Christ has commanded uh, his followers to be baptized. Right? We believe at Harvest that once you uh, accept Jesus, you receive him as Lord, Christ has told you to be baptized. So that's the obedient thing that we do. And I, I, love, I love what baptism is. Right? It's so interesting that God gave us this, this drama to reenact with one another. Right? That, that as, we, as we immerse in the water, it's Christ being immersed, but we're with him. We're dying that death with him that he died for us. We're no longer to live for sin. Our, our old self is to remain buried in that grave with Christ. It, it would have been enough for Christ to just die for us, but, but we die with him, and then we raise to life. We're raised with him through faith. That's our part. That's what we do. We believe, right? We're not raised with him because we do something good, because we're good people, or, or even because God knew that, that someday we would respond to him. We're raised because we believe, we confess that he is Lord. He raises us with him by the power of God, right? God's powerful enough to set aside our debt to set aside the legal demands against us by nailing it to the cross. He's powerful enough to raise you with Christ. So now we are in him. We're found, our life is found in him. And we know what it's like. We know what it's like to look anywhere and everywhere for what we think will give us life, right? Whether it's like success in your job, it may be vicariously living through your, your kids, whether it's relationships, intimacy, power, prestige, like experiences. Like we know, Christians, we know, like we still fool ourselves and go for those things. And yet, Christians, our life is in Christ. It's in Him that we find our meaning 
and our purpose, right, to glorify him because he's completely worthy of glory. Right? Building up your own business empire will never fill you, will never give you the life that you want. It is only in Jesus. We have everything we need in him. So that's who we are now if you've received him. And then Paul gives us this warning in 2.8. It's like he says, don't do this, Christians. See to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The world throws everything it can to keep someone blind to Jesus. Before, before coming to Christ, if you're outside of Christ, the, the world's trying to do everything it can to keep you absolutely blind to Christ. Now, if you do come to Christ... If you're a Christ follower, now the world's strategy is to do everything it can to distract you from Christ. So like the Colossian church, we face any number of distractions from Christ. It could be, uh, maybe you've met Christians even, that, that all they want are like miraculous signs and wonders, right? That, that's what they're looking for. They receive Jesus and now, that's all that they seek. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do those things, but if we remember John a little while back ago, when we went through the book of John, there are a lot of people that loved the miracles that Jesus did and yet didn't love Jesus at all. Or, or maybe, maybe you're tempted to, to just fall for the latest self-help trends. Not that self-help stuff can't be okay, but it's so quickly elevated and becomes an idol to us, or even good tools right, that, that we have through, through science. Uh, things like the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. It's pretty cool. I, I learned stuff about myself in that, but I've also seen people that are obsessed with things like Myers-Briggs. And, and, and pretty soon, and, and I'm talking about like a brother, sister in Christ, and pretty soon you're going, is that, has that become like your compass in life? Like, is that your new Bible? Or are you, are you walking by the Spirit in Jesus? We're so easily distracted. Paul warns them against human traditions. He warns against the elemental spirits of this world. And for us in America, we might hear elemental spirits. And we're like, ah, come on. Like, isn't that so first century, right? Or, or like some other continent. Most of us, um, we would never say this, but we're too sophisticated to, to believe in like demonic activity. Uh, um, C.S. Lewis, I almost said Carl Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, warned in screw tape letters. He says there's, there, there's, there's two wrong ways you can go here with, uh, with the spiritual powers in, in this world. You can either think they are everything, Right? And everything that happens is like demonic, like, like the, the stoplight turns red and you're like, oh, spiritual attack, right? Or you go the other end and, and, and you're a Christian and you, you don't think anything is, is uh, a spiritual attack. There are no demonic powers that, that we're dealing with. And uh, man, I, I, tend, I tend to fall on that side. I forget all the time. That our battle isn't against flesh and blood, that there are real powers that are battling against us as, as Christians. They're battling against non-Christians to keep them blind. It, it takes someone like on staff or someone else in the church to just go, man, I think this is a spiritual attack. We should pray. And then I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. We should pray. 
just oblivious to like, no, like we're battling against real darkness out there. Um, any good opponent uses what their opponent gives them, right? Whether it's uh, a chess match or a war or, or a, some kind of sporting event, you, you use what your opponent gives you. Uh, our culture tends to not believe in the demonic, e even amongst Christians. Um, so why would Satan and the demons blow their cover? Because right now they get to operate, uh, they get to run rampant as if they're not real. Um, man, we're fools to think that there are not spiritual forces at work. Anyway, Paul lines up all of these things on the one side and, and Christ on the other. He says, no, only according to Christ. Like, none of these things. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by, by tradition or, or freaking out even about spirits or new religions, new ways of thinking, self-help, Myers-Briggs, like whatever it is. Don't fall for any of that. Don't make any of that God. It's only according to Christ that you live. I love he describes a deceit. He calls it empty deceit. And I would think you could call all of these things empty, right? As if you like eat something thinking it's going to fill you up. But, but then as your body breaks it down, there's really nothing to it at all. There's no value to it. We're to be, we're to be taken captive by Christ. So Christians... Was your heart captivated by Christ this week? Were your thoughts, your affections captivated by Christ? Let's get to verse 6. He's told us we're alive in him. Here's what he tells us to walk in him. Verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You received Christ through faith, by grace. So walk in him. The longer you follow Jesus, the more you should look like Christ. John the Baptist got it right. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. The more we know Jesus, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more he refines us. Or if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you should be able to look back and, and see all the things that God stripped away in you that were really nothing like Christ. And, and maybe you hear uh, that Christ changes you, and you're like, no, I, I, don't want, I don't want God to change me. Man, what he's doing is he's making you who you were actually made to be who he created you to be. He's, he's refining you. He's, he's changing you degree by degree into the image of Christ. But too many people can look at Christians and, and their walk, the way they live, and think, they don't look any different. They don't look any different than, than the Mormon, than, than the atheist, than the, you know, whatever. Brennan Manning has a quote that uh, you've probably heard before. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I'm not saying that Christians don't struggle. We still stumble and we fall. But I'm asking, are you walking in him? In, in the power of the Spirit, are you walking in Christ? Right? He, he tells us we need to be rooted in him and the roots are, are like the the foundation of a plant 
or a tree, the, the roots are, are, grow deeper and wider, and they're going, they're seeking out the nutrients and the water. They're, they're giving the plant what it needs to live. When the storm comes, the roots are what hold that tree so it doesn't get ripped out of the ground. When, 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 there's, when there's just sun forever, we don't know what that's like here, but when there's sun forever and no water, the roots are searching deep in that parched land to get water to sustain that plant. He says that we're to be built up in him. Right? The bigger the foundation, the bigger that building can be. And we are to continue to grow in Christ, to be built up in him. We know we have not arrived. We know that the Christian life is a life of growing in Jesus every single day until we breathe our last breath as we become more and more and more like him. If you've received Jesus, you're to walk in him. I don't know why, but every Christian that I've ever known, and I include myself, we know how to put it on cruise control in the Christian life. We know how to look like we're walking in Christ. We, we might do all the right behaviors. We can check off maybe every box on the list, and yet we're not really walking with Jesus. Our heart maybe is drifting from Christ. But what we get to do, we get to point to Jesus by how we walk in him. We get to the point to the God who has changed us, who saved us, and changed us from the inside out, the King of Kings, who has made us one with him, the one who gives a peace that makes absolutely no sense to this world. We get to, we get to be the salt of the earth because we have the Jesus who gives us a hope that is sure. We're like a city on a hill that's all lit up, pointing to God. When we walk in him, we show an unbelieving world who they need to believe in. One way that we look different to the world, Paul says that we're abounding with thanksgiving, no matter the circumstances. And it made me think of a woman who is just incredible. I'm sure you've probably heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. If you haven't, you need to Google her today. Um, she, she is an incredible testimony. Uh, 52 years ago, she dove into shallow water just after graduating high school, dove into shallow water, broke her neck. Um, she didn't realize how, how shallow it was. Broke her neck. She's been a quadriplegic, quadriplegic ever since, right? And she was voted, I, I read this the other day, I didn't know this. She, she was super athletic. She was voted, her whole senior class, as the most athletic. Like this, this lady was a super athlete and she went from that one day to the next, not being able to move her arms or her legs. For a while, her sister, who was with her during the accident, drove her to every healing crusade that they could find, hoping and praying that Jesus would restore all of her, her functioning. She read the stories in the Gospels of Jesus healing the, the paralyzed, the lame, but she, she always ignored what Jesus did with their sin. She wasn't concerned with that. She had accepted Jesus when she was 14. And then one day, the weight of her sin hit her as she read the story where, where the four friends lowered their, their friend who was paralyzed through the roof. And she read, she read about Jesus forgiving his sin and realized that the only reason he could heal physically is because he had the authority to heal sin. She said this, I collapsed in tears when I began to glimpse how heinous my sin was. Physical healing paled in comparison to the unthinkable abuse my transgressions heaped on the Lord. 
So for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify, mortify my fleshly desires so I might find myself in Christ. And God has been answering my prayer, exposing dark things in my heart, things which need to be healed. Does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for miraculous healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. Johnny Erickson Tata in her wheelchair is walking in Christ. She is a bright, bright light that points the world to the glory of Jesus. So if you have received him, the one who has triumphed over evil, he has given you life. Let's walk in him together. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good, Lord. We, um, we know, we acknowledge that you are the giver of life. We thank you that you did cancel our debt on that cross. Lord, we thank you that in you and in you alone, we can be forgiven of everything, Lord. God, we confess, I confess, that, that even though I've been walking with you for years, I still find myself thinking other things will give me life. Lord, would we know that you and you alone give us life. God, I thank you for, for every good thing in life. Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't let it take your place. We wouldn't put it in your place, Jesus. We want to be a people that walk in you, that point to you, Lord. God, we, for all those in this room who have received you, would you help us to walk in you, to continue to grow in you and mature in you, Lord. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.